Good news, good news, good news. Welcome to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and we're going to talk Christmas. That's right. That's always good news. We are going to talk about Christmas. We're going to talk about births that are very, very special. And we're going to talk about some rebirths as well. Uh, well, new births in Christ. And I'm so grateful to see what's happening uh, worldwide. Elisa Morgan's going to be with us this hour to talk about how Christmas changes everything. It's one of the best Christmas books I've ever read. And as you are preparing for the uh, celebration of the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ coming up in less than three months, I mean, trust me, the October's going to blow by and then we're going to be into Advent season before you know it. But this is a resource that I think you'll love. And we have not one, not two, but three books copies of this book to give away today here on this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. So get your dialing fingers ready, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. We also have some great good news stories with regard to uh, one, one in particular involves a, uh, a challenge to a leading Christian group by a university. And it's interesting to see how those, you know, challenges go, because when you think about what's happening on college campuses right now, it seems like there's either the woke crowd, the progressives, if you will, who are trying to uh, uh, take over everything and they're offended by groups that don't buy into their woke ideologies, or whether it's Asbury or the school we're going to talk about (laughs) coming up next. The number of people who are coming to faith on college campuses is truly remarkable. And uh, of course, we give all Lord, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ all the glory and all the credit for what's happening. Um, but you know, it's, there's definitely a movement. There, there's spir- a spiritual awakening happening in the culture. And at the same time that it seems like there's evil all around, there is the spiritual awakening as well. I want to thank our friends at Preborn for the great work that they do. And especially thanks to uh, the way God is working through a, uh, a, a donor, an anonymous donor here for the Bottom Line Show. Uh, we have an opportunity to do something that it's not something that we're going to hide under a bushel. We're going to tell the whole world about it. And that is giving you and me the opportunity to put not one, but two ultrasound machines in preborn clinics. Now, as you know, preborn is the ministry that focuses, it's a pro life ministry that focuses on telling the truth about what's happening in the womb. So that basically, that means if a woman suspects that she's pregnant and needs a pregnancy test, she can go to a preborn clinic, they'll do a pregnancy test. If she wants to see what's going on in there, this is huge because so many people on the progressive side of the equation honestly believe that it's just, a, I mean, I've seen some of these larger medical institutions that will literally put up pictures that are just like flashes of light. They'll say, that's what your quote unquote baby looks like. And nothing could be further from the truth take any of these even groups like secular pro-life the people that aren't christians at all but they acknowledge the sanctity of human life in the womb will show the stages of gestation of the child here's what the baby's body looks like at six six weeks eight weeks ten etc etc all the way up to 39 full term and it's amazing to see you know the fingers the you know, fingernails and the eyelashes and everything that's that's happening the brain development the physical development neuromuscular development it's incredible but you can see that in these ultrasound images. And that's why Preborn specializes in two things. First and foremost, holding these ultrasound appointments for women who want to go in, confirm their pregnancy, and then hear the baby's heartbeat and see the kid you know, in different stages of gestation. 
The second part, so we give donation intervals of $28 per visit. That's how much it costs to cover the cost of one of those visits. So if you make a tax-deductible donation, or say $28 right now, that means basically one baby is going to be saved. And if you give a gift of $28 per month, that's one baby saved per month, that's 12 babies a year, and it goes on from there. But then there's the ultrasound machine itself. And that ultrasound machine itself costs about $15,000. Uh, it's truly remarkable. I know there's a leading ministry right now that is also doing a fundraising campaign for this type of thing. And their costs are double what preborn charges. And I honestly don't know why. All I'm saying is if you're looking for the good investment value, uh, preborn is the best way to go. Thanks to an anonymous donation from a bottom line show listener. Um, we've had a conversation, a uh, great person of God who uh, feels very strongly about this ministry. And we are forever grateful for your gift. But of course, no one's going to know because it's anonymous, right? That's We'll find out in heaven. But the beautiful thing about this is, you think about this, it's $15,000 uh, provides enough for a, an ultrasound machine. And this uh, listener has put up 15000 saying, we want to do two. I'll get us halfway there, thanks to God's blessings and provision. But let's get bottom line show listeners in on this too. So you give a gift of uh, $100. And it's kind of like 200 because that gets us, we're already halfway to the goal. Let's think ambitiously. How about if we had five bottom line show listeners who gave $3,000 each today? Or 10 bottom line show listeners who gave 1500 Or you could do the math from there. 833-850-BABY is the number to call. 833-850-2229. Or go online to kbrightradio.com. Hit the preborn banner and you can give a gift and a donation right there. Uh, you know, the, the thing about this whole issue of the birth of Christ, telling the truth about salvation, and a college campus actually having the audacity to say, you know, leading Christian organization that supports biblical marriage and the sanctity of human life, et cetera, we are uninviting you to, to an event that we were going to host for you. That is just kind of a mind bend, to be sure, especially in light of what's going on right now and has been happening on college campuses all across the country. For example, Texas A&M University has a couple of different campuses. They've got different schools attached to them. Uh, Texas A&M uh, campus in Corpus Christi. Uh, College Station is where the main one is, is headquartered, but uh, Texas A&M Corpus Christi um, worked with New Life Church in Corpus Christi to organize something called One Night. This actually happened at the end of the summer. And it was cool because when they organized this, it wasn't, I mean, if you look at the pictures we'll put up at thebottomlineshow.com, it's a group of students who are kind of standing in rows near chairs or whatever. They've got some microphones around so students can speak and lights, you know, so they could take pictures and that type of stuff. It's just the way it is. But uh, this is something that uh, uh, has been going on for a little while now. Um, New Life Church and their pastor for young adults, a guy called Tarek Whitmore, uh, they've had New Life Young Adults on campus at Texas A&M and their main campus since 2015. Uh, they also added the Corpus Christi campus a couple of years ago. And they've been seeing record numbers of young people come to Christ. Last year's one night event had about 600 people show up and 51 people were baptized. 
This year, they had over 1,000 in attendance. Now, keep in mind, the campus enrollment at Texas A&M Corpus Christi is 10,800. To have a student-led event on campus there and have 1,000 students show up is pretty incredible. I mean, it's almost 10%, kind of like a tithe, if you will. But what makes it even better is of the 1,000 people who were in attendance, 124 students came forward for baptism. Now, that is, is the kind of thing that I, I have to scratch my head sometimes. When I see a leading university, and Texas A&M obviously is not a Christian school. I mean, Texas A&M is part of the University of Texas system of education. The idea uh, that this is you know, happening on a public school campus is pretty encouraging. What was also encouraging was what Pastor Whitmore said when it came to who was coming forward. And he said, basically, it was every kind of student you could imagine. You had incoming freshmen who literally had just started classes at the university that week. You had seniors who had been aware of New Life Young Adults, but literally had, in Pastor Whitmore's words, avoided the group. <laughs> um, typically, when they get together and have a meeting on campus, they've got about a 1,300-square-foot a house that hosts the group for the space and they get anywhere from 20 to 50 students. The first time they did something on campus though, like this, they had 200 students show up and five students were baptized. So they figured we better start making it bigger and bigger and bigger and now it just keeps continuing to grow. This is yet another example of what's happening at churches that are working with college campuses all across the country. So the idea that there are people who are saying, oh, you know what, you know, we got to get this, uh, you know, get the Christian influence off of these public school campuses, that doesn't speak for every campus. Not only that, but woe to the Christian college campus that says, you know what, we've got to really be a little more politically correct, et cetera, et cetera, instead of saying, hey, wait a minute, look what God is doing here at Texas A&M of all places. So very exciting. Their outreach event uh, that kicked off the school year, over 1,000 students showed up, 124 giving their lives to the Lord. Praising God for the wonderful world work that he is doing in the world today. It's interesting, though, when you think about what's going on, should we be that surprised? I mean, this work has been going on literally since over 2,000 years ago when our Lord and Savior was born as a baby of a virgin in uh in Jerusalem, or in Nazareth, rather. Bethlehem, Judea. From Zechariah's encounter with an angel in the temple to the Magi who traveled to a village in the Judean wilderness. Christmas did more than just say, here comes the birth of Christ. It changed the people who were influenced by it, who they would become and how they would live, leave their faith, or in some cases, leave that faith behind. Lisa Morgan, who writes for Our Daily Bread and is part of the uh, radio Bible class, they call it. I think it's called Discover the Word now. Uh, has a Christmas book out. Came out last year at Christmas time, and I want to revisit this conversation here because this is a biblical character study she's done of everyone who was involved in the nativity with practical application for today. The book is called Christmas Changes Everything, How the Birth of Jesus Brings Hope to the World. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com, and we have not one, not two, but three copies of this book that we're going to be giving away today. 
is the number to get you through to the bottom line. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Well, today here on The Bottom Line, we're going to get all Christmassy here about a, with a brand new book that is, I think, one of the most encouraging things I've read. It's called Christmas Changes Everything, How the Birth of Jesus Brings Hope to the World. The author is a uh, just a spectacular personality, someone who's been uh, serving in ministry for many, many years, Elisa Morgan, who has been named one of, by Christianity Today as one of the top 50 women influencing today's church and culture, the author of more than 25 books. Uh, served as CEO of Mops International, and now as President Emeritus, or Emerita, excuse me. Um, she writes for our Daily Bread, co-host Discover the Word, radio podcast, and is the author of this brand new book. Elisa Morgan, welcome to the Bottom Line Show today. Yay, so glad to be here. We had this little nugget, Christmas changes, everything to share with the world. And I'm glad you said it was an encouraging book, because that's whole, the whole goal. It's, it is yeah. really encouraging. Yeah, we'll talk about this. Why, why? I mean, there are so many things about Christmas that we take for granted. So many things that we have a tendency to kind of rush through, just trying to get to everything that we think we need to do for Christmas. Why was it so important for you to to tell us this story as a reminder, uh, just, you know, especially now? Right. Well, what I did is I went diving into what I call the nine, nine characters in the Christmas story that had a divine encounter with Jesus, the baby or the young child and how they were changed by that encounter. And, and, you know, for me, I was changed when Christmas truly became Christmas. I mean, I've always loved it as a kid, but when it took on the meaning that it really has, that, that God gave his son for us to, to walk this planet, you know, to be born in a woman's womb and have real human feet and hands. I mean, wow. But Christmas actually became Christmas when Easter became Easter. And I understood, significance of Jesus not only coming, but then dying on the cross for me, for you, for all of us. And, and so when you look at, oh, okay, I, I, I get that. I get how it's changed me. But then you go back and look at the nine, Mary, Joseph, you can go through the whole list here, Zechariah, Elizabeth, the shepherd, the magi, etc. And you look at how each of them were changed by their encounter with Christ. It, it's staggering. And each one of them was uniquely changed. And if God could change them in that way. Maybe we too could be changed in the way they mm. were changed. I love that. Elisa Morgan is with me today here on The Bottom Line, and her book is called Christmas Changes Everything, How the Birth of Jesus Brings Hope to the World, and we have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Oftentimes, when we think about those angelic encounters, I, I didn't want to be sarcastic in saying this, but I think some of our listeners might have thought, well, you talk about the nine different encounters, that means there's Mary, Joseph, and there must have been seven shepherds. 
You know, I mean, that's pretty, <laughs> much, that's pretty much it, right? That's but I, I love the fact that you include Zechariah, that you include Elizabeth. I mean, Elizabeth's story especially seems to be resonating with a lot of people now as we've had more conversations in the culture about the sanctity of human life and how, quote unquote, human is a baby, you know, during the gestational period. And, and there's some very powerful promises that come out in that story. Talk about why that we, we really do learn to rejoice in the Christ child the way God wants us to when we take a look at her encounter. You know, Elizabeth's story is tied to Mary's, and I love it. Um, you know, the angel comes to Mary and says, you're going to, even as a virgin, a very young, like 13-year-old-ish virgin who was betrothed but not married, you're going to bear the Messiah. And Mary is so confused as to how that could happen. Right. But the angel says, by the way, your relative Elizabeth, who's way beyond child-rearing years or child-bearing <laughs> years, you yeah. know, she's pregnant. She's in her sixth month. And it, he, he, like, compares them and says, what seems to be impossible for us is possible with God. Yeah. And Elizabeth, you know, being childless in New Testament times was a huge rejection. You know, you just had a ton of shame around a woman and scripture makes it clear it was her fault. And, you know, Zechariah didn't believe that God could do this. Elizabeth did. And the word that I use with Elizabeth is rejoice because she watched God do what seemed to be impossible. And then she and Mary shared this kind of mentoring tutelage to each other of how to get through an unexpected expectancy. You know, it's interesting as we think about the different attributes, and I appreciate how you've kind of laid this out for us, Elisa Morgan, in terms of what we can learn from each story and what each of these characters tells us and how God uses each of them. Uh, it, it is, it's pretty amazing to think that there are a lot of us, I think, who have kind of, you know, we, we rejoice when it's time to rejoice. We believe when, you know, someone confronts us with the scripture, but these attributes are things that we should be carrying with us. I mean, they're the hallmarks of the Christian faith, and we see them played out so uh, so passionately here. What what has been the initial reaction to this book from people who've read it and said, oh my goodness, I didn't think I would see myself in that story, for example? Yeah, you know, I think it's a paradigm pop, if you will. You know, we look at the Christmas story, like you just said, Mary Joseph and Seven Shepherds, and we think, <laughs> wow, you know, I get it. But when you dive into these human beings who have an, a divine encounter and you see the stunning change, I, I mean, the Magi were so curious about celestial beings that they went after the star. They end up finding not just light, but the source of light, and they bowed down and worshiped the child. That's drastic. That's amazing. And their word is worship. They were really changed. Actually, their word was seek. And they really found what they were seeking for. Or Simeon or Anna, uh, those who were in the, the temple themselves. Simeon was a prophet. Anna was a prophetess. You know, they Simeon had been promised that he would see the Messiah before he died. Sure enough, in the exact moment, which God alone knew, <laughs> things were timed in such a way. And Simeon, who waited his whole life was fulfilled. Now, who doesn't relate to that? Right. Waiting your whole life for something. And even Herod, Herod is humbling when you really look at his story. He was, yeah, crazy. He was deranged. I mean, he killed his family, et cetera. And he thought he was like, you know, king of the Jews himself. But Herod rejected Christmas. Herod refused to learn from Christmas. He was so threatened by the possibility of God that he tried to kill every single little baby boy, two years mm -hmm. and under he did, or about 20, I guess, that he killed. And the word for Herod is learn. You know, I'm still learning, and I'm sure you guys are too. I'm still learning. Every year I come to Christmas going, I think I know how I'm supposed to worship and what God's doing in my life. And I'm humbled to recognize I got to pay attention because he's about, he's up to stuff that I can never anticipate. And I don't want to miss what he's doing. 
Alisa Morgan is my guest today here on The Bottom Line with a great exhortation for us today about Christmas from her brand new book called Christmas Changes Everything, How the Birth of Jesus Brings Hope to the World. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. I'm curious about the subtitle, Alisa, because my thought was, well, okay, it's joy to the world. The Lord has come, right? You chose hope, or maybe your publisher chose hope. I just want to be fair, because I know sometimes authors <laughs> don't get to pick titles and get <laughs> subtitles. But talk about that difference, because we, we, it's easy to get joy-filled around Christmas time if you're getting good presents, if you've got good family, if you've got good food, if your church is awesome. You know, that, that you could put things aside for a little while. But hope seems to have a little more shelf life to it, doesn't it? I think it does. And, you know, joy is a, a fruit of the spirit. It's the real deal. It's not based on circumstances when it's really sure. based in God. But hope is something we need on a daily basis to simply get up and go through the, the motions of the day with meaning. Hope, we live in a broken world. We live in a world that is so scarred up and fractured and, you know, cracked in a million pieces by life, by disease, by, you know, stunning bad mistakes. And we need hope. You know, if we're left to ourselves, it's kind of a depressing life. But God came to give us release and restoration and redemption from ourselves. And that's hope. That's hope for now. And that's hope for the hereafter. Boy, that is that uh, someone needed to hear that. I mean, definitely needed to hear that because there are many who are approaching this holiday season. And this is, I mean, we, we look at the manger. We, we look at the birth of Jesus. We, we've seen the pageants. Uh, and, and they're cute. I mean, especially the preschool and, you know, elementary school, what's there, those little kids singing their hearts out, whether they can carry a tune or not, that's immaterial. Exactly. But once you get past the cultural stuff and once you get past the, even some of the relational stuff, this is a season of loneliness for a lot of people. It's a, it's a season and maybe even division. I, my heart breaks for the families who won't be getting together this year, either because the miles just don't allow it or Maybe there's some philosophical differences too. Talk about how this hope and how Christmas changes everything can be used as a catalyst for maybe bringing about some healing in a family where there's a little division. You know, I, I've got to go to the story of Joseph. I mean, here Joseph wakes up one day and he's looking at his future as bright and hopeful and shiny. You know, he's engaged, mm -hmm. betrothed to a wonderful young woman who is a devout Jewess, you know, who is faithful and lovely. And he finds out that she's with child. He knows he hasn't been in relationship with her that way. He can only wonder if she's been unfaithful to him, which is so hard for him to comprehend. Right. And in that moment, you know, if I really think about Joseph, I think all of his dreams fell and broke. Mm -hmm. Just a shattered man, you know, in one moment, looking at the rest of his life with great excitement and the next one going, what do I do with this? I love how scripture describes him as considering what to do, as thinking carefully what to do, because he's also devout. He doesn't want to disobey the law, which would cause Mary to be stoned to death, but he also wants to honor Mary. And he, he, he waits until he can come up with a solution. And the angel comes to him and says, go ahead and marry her. And, you know, he made this decision to divorce her quietly. But the angel says, no, go ahead and marry her. Don't have relations with her until the child is born. Name him Jesus. And so Joseph goes to bed that night with this amazing message, beginning to understand that he's going to be the stepfather to the son of God. I guess what I look at Joseph is I think the rearrangement of our dreams is something our God has his hands on. I've been in Christmases where a child didn't show up, an adult child didn't show up, or when I was waiting for babies through adoption and four years goes by, or when I received a diagnosis that my mom had terminal cancer, mm -hmm. on and on. 
we have those times because Christmas isn't this magical potion that changes everything. It's the birth of a savior who brings hope and redemption and restoration to our broken world and our broken feelings and our broken homes. So that's where the real hope comes from. And that's what changes everything. Lisa Morgan, my guest today here on The Bottom Line. The book is called Christmas Changes Everything, How the Birth of Jesus Brings Hope to the World. Highly recommend this book. Perfect in time for Christmas. And you can still go to thebottomlineshow.com. We'll have a link up there where you can order a copy of the book if you'd like to get it before the 25th. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, let's uh, dig into what we can take from these lessons and these examples, uh, specifically starting with the ones who were given the command to go and share the good news of this gospel message uh, with everyone, even though they knew that just about nobody wanted to hear what they had to say. More of my conversation with Elisa Morgan in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Elisa Morgan is my guest, and we're talking about her newest book called Christmas Changes Everything, How the Birth of Jesus Brings Hope to the World. It's a biblical character study of everyone involved with the nativity. It's got practical application for us. And remember, not everybody who was involved in the nativity stayed strong in their faith. You're going to find yourself somewhere in this story and be changed and blessed by it. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com, and we have not one, not two, but three copies of this book to give away here on this Good News Friday. I would love to have one set aside for you. 800-227-5278. is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, we have three copies of Elisa Morgan's book, Christmas Changes Everything, How the Birth of Jesus Brings Hope to the World. 800-227-5278. That is the number to get you through to the bottom line. We'll take a quick break here, and when we come back, the conclusion of my conversation with author and speaker Elisa Morgan, coming up next as the bottom line continues. Alisa Morgan is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. Brand new book of hers is up at thebottomlineshow.com called Christmas Changes Everything, How the Birth of Jesus Brings Hope to the World. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Um, for, there are so many different starting points, Alisa, for our listeners to have experienced you in your ministry. I remember first hearing your name when I, my kids were in preschool. And so, of course, that was the, the mops season past mm-hmm. eight years, you've been one of the co-hosts on Discover the Word, which is one of the, I mean, I remember the, the old radio Bible class days. That that right. sounds like it's a ton of fun to do. And I, and I understand that you're having a new project that's just now launching as well, a new podcast. Yes, we have a new podcast called God Hears Her with me and Aaron Eddy, who's 35 and I'm not. And we, we, we just <laughs> talk about everything that needs to be talked about is really fun. I love it. Well, it, good dialogue and this this whole multi-platform world is just, it's so fascinating. And yet we still like to hold bound books in our hands. And yes. I recommend holding Christmas changes everything in your hands too. How the Thank Birth you. of Jesus Brings Hope to the World by Elisa Morkin. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Elisa's taking us through in a, in a, an easy to read, easy to di- digest. I say that for our male listeners and viewers, because, you know, sometimes we say a book, that means 400 pages. I don't have time, <laughs> but a hundred pages I'm down for. So I there mean, that's go. that this is, this is way up our alley. And yet you covered nine different examples of the people who were impacted by the angels. We haven't talked about the shepherds yet outside of my quip of them being the other seven. Uh, talk about the significance of who these people were, why this good news was so important, and why would God pick them to be the first ones to share the good news? God is so counterintuitive. You know, he surprises us with who he picks. I mean, Mary was a virgin, a, a young girl. 
He picked her. Joseph was a carpenter, a simple man. Both of them were devout, but he picked him. The shepherds were actually in the lowest caste of society, is if you want to phrase it that way. Mm-hmm. They were like the unmentionables. They were just kind of low, low rung. And their job was to take care of sheep, probably in the fields near Jerusalem and et cetera. They were probably taking care of sheep that would become the sacrifices for the temple. Mm. So interesting. And Boom, lo and behold, in the middle of the night, an angel appears to them, a whole host of angels appear to them saying glory to God in the highest and peace on earth and reveals to them that they're to go and find the baby Jesus, the Messiah. And they go. And, you know, you you wonder what Mary and Joseph thought with these kind of rangy guys coming in to see the baby. But, you know, some of our understanding of what the manger and the surroundings look like come more from imagination than from actual scripture. If you look at really the the way a house was uh, built in New Testament times, likely it was one big, big room with the animals brought inside into a mm-hmm. section of it. And that's where Mary and Joseph were. So they weren't like, you know, out in you know, a field all by themselves that they were cared for, but the shepherds still came to find them and went into worship. And I'm floored by how how counterintuitive that is that God picked this group. These 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 shepherds went from watching lambs in a field who might become sacrifices to watching the Lamb of God, who actually did become the sacrifice for right. all of our sins. And then they became the first evangelists. I mean, they were told, go out and share this good news. And they went and told everybody that they knew what had happened. Now, some people didn't believe them, of course. But a lot of people did. And that's, you know, when, when we're asked, when we have this divine encounter ourselves with Christmas, you know, when when we come nose to nose with the reality of who Jesus is, we want to go tell people too. And that's what, that's the, the invitation God puts in our lives as well. And gives us the perfect example. If you've ever felt like, well, no one's going to listen to me. Well, <laughs> if anybody knew that, the shepherds did. No one was going. No one would believe them. And quite frankly, because you mentioned the caste system, no one would seemingly care. But their allegiance was to the Lord. Their allegiance was to to God's command and the angels telling them go and share. And they did it. And they, that shows us an example of how we can do it, especially in a world that might be hostile to our testimony. Elisa Morgan is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. Christmas Changes Everything is the new book, How the Birth of Jesus Brings Hope to the World. And there's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. And Elisa, we have a couple minutes left in our conversation. You have included a 10th chapter. We mentioned that there were the nine angelic encounters. Uh, Talk about what you were hoping to accomplish uh, with writing to each of us and -hmm. saying, hey, don't forget the stories that we have to tell as well. You know, I'm remembering how we have decorated for Christmas outside for years and years in our neighborhood. Our grandsons would help us and we would put up the Papa Snowman, the Mama Snowman, and the little snow dude. And, you know, I would be usually at the front door putting up the boughs and stuff. And I would always throw out like a welcome mat, a Christmas welcome mat. And I just thought about that for a long time. What would I really do if Jesus came to my front door at Christmas? Mm. Is my heart welcoming him? Um, in whatever form he might come. And I actually, I did some research and in John nine, no, excuse me, it's in Mark nine. Jesus uses the word welcome to actually talk about how 
little children should be received by us and therefore how we can receive him. Yeah. And that word, you know, he says, welcome these little ones, any of you. And if you do, you're not only welcoming me, you're welcoming the one who sent me. Yeah. That word welcome means to invite in as a guest. Hmm. And I began to think about that, you know, that's what I want my posture to be this Christmas, every Christmas, whether I'm in a place where God's inviting me to accept his work in my life or yield to it like Joseph or share like the shepherds or learn like Herod didn't, you know, whatever. Am I welcoming how God wants to change me through Christmas? And not just as a guest, you know, come in and sit down, but maybe as a permanent resident in my heart and a permanent resident in my life. Do I, will I welcome the Christ child, God's great gift? Will I welcome him in to be a part of my life and to be my Lord and my savior? Well, that is a powerful challenge and exhortation, if you will, from Elisa Morgan. And today here on The Bottom Line, we've been discussing her new book called Christmas Changes Everything, How the Birth of Jesus Brings Hope to the World. Elisa, we've got about a minute and a half left in our conversation. I'd love to just uh, hand the pulpit, if you will, over to you uh, for some final thoughts and observations about the, how to get the most out of the Christmas season, what we can do in these times of introspection and reflection, and uh, what your hope is for the church in the coming year. Gosh. Okay, that's a lot for a minute. I'm going to share this this word that I I bring up for the last three or four years, and it's the word learn. Mm. Um, we were sitting around our Christmas evening table after a wonderful day, and uh, we have a, a messy family like a lot of people mm. do, where people come and go, and we have to rotate and all yeah. of that. And we were celebrating Christmas on Christmas Eve, and I turned to one of my family members and I said, "I can't wait till next year when we're actually get to celebrate on Christmas," and she started crying. <laughs> I went, uh oh. And I realized how much I had held on to my view of what Christmas should be. And as an older person now, a grandmother, my oldest grandson is 18. I've got another grandbaby on the way, which wow. is very exciting spread. Yeah. But, you know, our, our job is really to bless the next generation, to, to have a looser grip on what Christmas looks like, to model before each other a heart that welcomes God, and then to celebrate his presence rather than saying it has to be on this day, it has to be in this way, it has to be all together, to, to relinquish it to what God wants to make it. The reality is that Christmas was birthed, it was God's idea, it was birthed by him. And he's the one who's going to birth it in each of our hearts if we allow him to do his work the way he wants to do it. So I think that's what I'd say to both as families, as individuals, but also in our church and our world, can we let God be God and trust him that he knows what he's doing, that he is a good God who loves us desperately enough to give his own son for us? Can we let him be surprising and counterintuitive? And can we let him shape us into the people he needs us to be so that our world sees him as well? Wow, what a powerful footnote for our conversation today and, and a great reminder as we uh, take our marching orders here from Melissa Morgan uh, moving into the, the thick part of the Christmas season. The book is called Christmas Changes Everything, How the Birth of Jesus Brings Hope to the World. Highly recommend this book. Two thumbs way up uh, from someone who reads a lot. <laughs> I really appreciate this book and Elisa's testimony as well. The link is up at thebottomlineshow.com. Elisa Morgan, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year from all of us here at The Bottom Line Show. Thanks for being with us today. Merry Christmas. What a great resource and what a practical resource as well, especially this time of year. I know you're thinking today, Roger, it's October the 6th. Why are you talking about Christmas? Well, here's why. <laughs> Christmas comes very soon. Advent season will be here before you know it. 
And this is a resource that I think that will help you as you look at the cross. If you're a parent, grandparent, Bible study leader, whoever and whomever, you're going to love this resource that Elisa Morgan has put together. The book is called Christmas Changes Everything, How the Birth of Jesus Brings Hope to the World. It's a biblical character study of everyone involved in the nativity, and it has practical application for today as well. We've got the link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com, and we have not one, not two, but three copies of this book that we're giving away today. Would you like one? Give Crystal a call. 800-227-5278. Well, Crystal and Joel answer the phones. You know that. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, we've got not one, not two, but three copies of this new book by Elisa Morgan, and it's called Christmas Changes Everything. How the Birth of Jesus Brings Hope to the World. 800-227-5278. is the number to get you through to the bottom line. On the other side of this break, it is amazing how the birth of a child, like in this case that we were talking about for the past half hour, the birth of the child Jesus, Changed everything for all of human history. Changed the calendar. It changed, uh, you know, it, it literally light had come into the darkening world. Um, if you've ever found yourself in a situation where a birth of a child kind of changes a few things, um, then you'll appreciate this next Good News Friday story. I'm going to talk about a child that was born with something called Edwards syndrome. And mom, of course, once the uh, diagnosis was given, baby was still in the womb and mom was told, don't do it. It's just, it, it, she's not going to have a quality of life. And um, basically, she's not going to be able to survive. Well, I'll give you an update on the child who was told that she would not be able to live and the mother who was told the only solution for you is to abort this child. The good news is she didn't. <laughs> and we have encouraging news to share with you on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. When you were in an accident, Stephanie Cover of Cover Law is the only personal injury attorney you need. Stephanie talks to victims all the time who wish they would have signed with her first. Unfortunately, once you've signed a retainer with a different attorney, Stephanie can't represent you. So it's crucial to have Stephanie's number handy now and make the smart call the first time. Stephanie is the right attorney to represent your personal injury claim, specifically because she worked for insurance companies for 20 years, so she knows the best questions to ask and when. Stephanie knows when things don't sound accurate, and she knows when she's being deceived. Stephanie is a Christian, and telling the truth is vital, so she holds professionals to that standard, too. Stephanie's unique blend of skill, expertise, and compassion get you real results. Bookmark Stephanie's website now so you don't have regrets and pass it on to your friends and relatives who will need it. Just go to kbrightradio.com slash cover today to set up a free consultation. That's kbrightradio.com slash C-O-V-E-R. My thanks again, sincerest thanks to Elisa Morgan of the uh, radio Bible class, Discover the Word. And the uh, remember, she was the president of Mops International for God knows how long. And they just recently rebranded and brought her out of retirement. I think she's chairman emeritus now. But she wrote this book, Christmas Changes Everything. It's a biblical character study of everybody who was involved in the nativity. And the subtitle tells it all, How the Birth of Jesus Brings Hope to the World. So we have this book up at thebottomlineshow.com and we're giving it away right now. And I assure you, even as slow as we are in getting the mail out, because <laughs> sometimes we are, you should have this book in time for Thanksgiving, if not Christmas. 
the number to get you through to the bottom line, not one, not two, but three copies of this book by Elisa Morgan, Christmas Changes Everything, 800-227-5278. Good News Friday story to share with you now about a woman who was told, speaking of childbirths, uh, you know, when a woman is uh, given the diagnosis of, hey, you're pregnant, it's, it's a life-changing experience. If she was planning on it, she and her husband have been trying and they get a chance to have that baby, they're thrilled. If it's that couple that, you know, they, they save themselves for marriage, they go on the honeymoon, they come back and a month later, they're like, okay, well, you know, it, it's amazing how God works in the lives of each of us by bringing some kind of, there, there's something about kids and a childbirth that is something that is unavoidable for a family when the child is announced and it does permanently alter the trajectory of the life of the child. I, uh, I can still remember the moment, um, and I've shared this story before, but still remember the moment I found out I was going to be a father. Um, and what made it a bit of a challenge was that I had been engaged to Emily's mother, but we were not married. And I was working in Christian broadcasting, and I thought, this is the end of, you know, <laughs> this is the end of that when people find out, you know, how often. Well, we were going to get married anyway, so we continued on with the wedding plans, and we got married. And a few months after we were married, Emily was born, and it was uh, healthy. I mean, my goodness, look at her now, and uh, you wouldn't know because she's kind of petite. Uh, that she was nine pounds and seven ounces. She was a, it was, loved being in the womb. She just had a great time with it. And it's gone on to be, she's a wife and mother now herself, and she's a public school educator. She taught for eight years in Christian school and now is applying her trade in the public schools in East Texas. But I remember the changes that happened in my life, the changes that happened in the lives of everybody impacted by her. She was the first grandchild. Uh, for either side of our family. So that was a big to-do. And um, and then it just, it, it kind of moved on from there. When her sister and her brother showed up a couple of years later, you know, the family was rounded out. But there were no major medical problems with her, per se. Her younger sister did have a bit of an issue and uh, that caused for some rather tense moments. But nothing like uh, what Jennifer Holyrod has been dealing with uh, over in Great Britain. Jennifer is an interesting woman because she is the mother of a daughter who was born with a rare genetic condition. The condition is called Edwards syndrome. And if you're not familiar with it, I was not until I did a little research when our friends at Life News brought it to my attention. Edwards syndrome is so-called, well, it's called trisomy 18 because at the 18th chromosome pair, there is an additional chromosome. It's a rare genetic condition, and it can be detected before birth in the same way that Down syndrome is the extra chromosome at the 21st pair. That's why March 21st, 321 is uh, Down Syndrome Awareness Day. Uh, trisomy is at the 18th chromosome. So there was a woman that I mentioned her before, Jennifer Holyrod, who was told when she was about 32 weeks along, she'd been going to her OBGYN pregnancy visits, and she was told that her the little girl she was carrying, who she had already named Amber, uh, had a problem. And the doctor said, quote, she's not growing the way she should have been growing up to this point. Now, it's interesting because um, the, uh, well, they, they said, okay, here's the thing. It's, it's not going well. 
and they the doctor said you know it, it's it's going to be some kind of abnormality we're not quite sure what it is but there's a good chance your baby's not going to survive so therefore yeah therefore you know the story you've heard this so many times before the baby was not growing the way she should have been growing and so basically they gave her the choice they said we have two options here i mean if something happens to this child there's a possibility that she will die in the womb and you will have to deliver a stillborn baby if you deliver this child to term there at term take her to term and deliver that you will then have a very very difficult life with her and she may not last that long but then they also threw out a couple of other possibilities and in doing some digging around on their own jennifer and her partner uh don't have the guy's name listed here but basically um they decided to wait because they were told by one doctor well uh you know they're if it's going to be something like down syndrome or this edwards syndrome uh, they can't diagnose it at this time so jennifer said we just decided we're going to wait we're just going to pray write out the pregnancy and see what god had in store so when amber was born she did in fact show up okay she was only about four pounds and she had some breathing difficulties so a specialist helped her with those breathing difficulties and two weeks later that's when the doctors made the diagnosis they determined that she had Edwards syndrome. She had the extra chromosome in the 18th pair. And Jennifer said at that point, that's when she said it was the strangest, most eerie feeling to realize that the doctors basically said, oh, she has Edwards syndrome and we don't expect her to survive very long after this. Jennifer said, uh, told the BBC, she said it was like they wrote Amber off completely they just they didn't give us any sort of hope and then of course over the next few months they went through a very very traumatic time in her first six months of life amber had a myriad of surgeries and medical procedures her mother said it was trauma for her it was trauma for us as a family what she went through in those first few months is not something that any child should have to go through and yet, every time she had a procedure, every time she had a challenge, Amber did not give up. As Jennifer said, it's like she was just able to keep fighting the fight. Every time there was a challenge, Amber met the challenge with a fight. So what's the prognosis for Amber right now? Well, I'll tell you on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. Well, we have some good news from our friends at Preborn, and that is that we have a match in place that you got to take advantage of right now. I call it the 15 by the 15th campaign. Uh, an anonymous listener uh, who listens to the Bottom Line Show here in Southern California has put up a match for Preborn. Uh, he, this listener has donated $15,000, which is the cost of one uh, ultrasound machine in a preborn clinic and said, hey, I'll put this up as a match. Let's get other bottom line listeners involved to make donations, large or small. And once we get to another 15,000, then we can give the whole amount to preborn and get two 
uh, ultrasound machines in pre-born clinics here in Southern California. So what do you say? We're a couple hundred dollars in on this match. I know there's a bottom line listener right now who can make a $500 or a $1,000 donation, maybe even a $2,500, knowing that it's A, tax deductible, and B, going to be matched dollar for dollar to get another ultrasound machine in that will save babies' lives. Call 833-850-BABY, 833-850-2229, or you can make a donation online. It's really easy when you go to kbrightradio.com or you can go to my website, rogermarsh.com, and click on the preborn banner there. Let's save lives through preborn. $15,000 by the 15th of October, we can do this. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Last call for those Christmas Changes Everything books by Elisa Morgan, How the Birth of Jesus Brings Hope to the World. It's her biblical character study of everybody involved in the nativity and then how we could kind of see ourselves in each one of their stories. Uh, we've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com, and we have not one, not two, but three copies of this book that we're giving away today here on Good News Friday, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Jennifer Hollyrod uh, gave birth to her daughter Amber four years ago. Amber, at age 32 weeks gestation, uh, the doctors determined that she was, quote, not growing the way she should have been, unquote. But Jennifer and the baby's dad decided they they would ride this out. They would trust that God had a plan for what was going to happen with this girl. And she said, we just prayed that everything would be okay. Amber was born at full term. She only weighed four pounds. She had to work with breathing specialists just to go through the breathing difficulties. About two weeks after she was born, doctors diagnosed her with Edwards syndrome. It's called trisomy 18 because it basically, whereas Down syndrome is an extra chromosome at the uh, 21st pair, trisomy 18 is an extra one at the, uh, the 18th pair. So Jennifer said Amber seemingly was written off by the doctors. What she went through over those first few months of life was something that no child should ever have to go through. And yet, every time she had a challenge, every time she was in the hospital, every time she had a surgery, Jennifer says Amber didn't give up and actually kept fighting. Every time she had one of these battles, she just fought harder and harder. So guess what happened last month? Amber started school. (laughs) There's a great picture of her and her mom up at thebottomlineshow.com. Now, she's not able to walk or talk. She still has a hard time breathing, but she laughs and she plays and she communicates in her own way. And Jennifer said, look, when we were all at the start, all we wanted was to look for a positive story, a positive outcome. And we didn't know what that meant. Now we understand that it is possible to survive with Edwards syndrome. It's not necessarily the life, of course, that parents are saying they want for their children but it is a winnable war and the joy of the lord is evident so amber you enjoy school and showing everybody what edward syndrome looks like by the way uh, remember that this is a woman who at at 32 weeks gestation was told by doctors we don't know what's wrong but she's not growing the way she should they were looking at ultrasounds and the left does not want you to see ultrasound technology that will show you the true condition of what your baby is going through and what kind of challenges or opportunities you might be facing with that child when they're born. But preborn does. And thanks to an anonymous, generous gift from a bottom line show listener, we have a $15,000 matching grant in place right now. $15,000 will cover the cost of one ultrasound machine 
but we want to get two. That's why we're putting the first 15 up as a match. And as soon as we raise another 15,000, that will unlock that match and apply the money for two ultrasound machines. Will you join in this effort? 833-850-BABY is the number to call. 833-850-2229. Or give a gift online through kbrightradio.com. Hit the banner for uh, Preborn and make that donation today. Uh, someone can make a $500 donation right now. It'll spend like 1000 Or a $1,000 donation that'll spend like 2000 Nowhere are you going to get a 200% return on your tax-deductible do- donation like this. You know, the beautiful thing about Amber's story, I think, and the fact that she showed up when she did, the way she did, was something that I was alluding to uh, earlier in this uh, conversation. When my daughter Emily showed up, it was very disruptive in a good way for my family and my extended family. And it brought a lot of people together. She's always had that winsome personality. People are just drawn to her and they just love being around her. She is the light of Christ for so many different people. But I learned a lot when she was born. The first thing I learned is that God doesn't make mistakes, so no child is ever born early or late. She was right on time. Her mother and I didn't have our act together, but she was right on time, if you know what I'm talking about. Secondly, like in the case of Amber Hollyrod, or Lisa and I have a daughter with different deeds as well, uh, daughter Ryan, uh, this is the way God brought her here. We know that people get sick and there's cancer and stuff like that because there's sin in the world. But when it comes to created beings, God glorifies himself. God's strength is made perfect in what? Human weakness. So we count it all joy. The good news of the gospel is that even though all of us have some place where maybe we don't have everything the way it's supposed to be, God is making us into new creations for that perfect moment when we enter into heaven. That is good news, and that's the bottom line. For our KCBC audience, enjoy the rest of your day. And Rabbi Schneider, Discovering the Jewish Jesus, coming up next. For those who remain on the network, a fascinating story about a Christian university that canceled an event hosted by a Christian organization because one group doesn't agree with the other group on issues like LGBTQ rights. So who's quote-unquote right? We'll take a look at it coming up next as the bottom line continues. Good news, good news, good news. Welcome to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and so glad that you have tuned in for this edition of the broadcast today. Because as we wrap up another week and uh, I take a look at the events that have happened in the world and the things that are kind of all around us, I have a good news story that involves a Christian organization doing the right thing and a Christian university, I believe, doing the wrong thing. It's really easy for us as believers to fall into the trap of, I'm right, you're wrong, and I have to win. And, and that happens a lot. I mean, we, we do that quite a bit in the culture. There's a phrase I've heard used. I don't know who coined it, but it, it seems kind of appropriate. It's whataboutism. Maybe you've heard it. And that is where someone will take a stand and point out something you know, that's going on in the culture, and they'll say, well, this is bad. And someone else will say, oh, yeah, well, what about this? And the what about is usually aimed at the person who is, um, well, pointing the finger. And trust me, it is not easy in this culture to take a stand for biblical values, moral truth, biblical principles, without coming across 
like you're putting your finger in someone's chest and saying, I'm right and you're wrong. You know, that there's a huge difference between focusing on who is right and focusing on what is right. And it's been my experience, it served me very well, that when you want to take the highest road possible, when you want to be uh, the one who is loving your neighbor as yourself, it's not easy to do, but speaking the truth in love is always the best way around it. You know, it's funny that that old expression, honesty is always the best policy. I've heard that so many different times, so many different places from so many different people. But you know, the one that sticks out for me, for whatever reason, why, who said that phrase very famously, it was kind of indelibly etched into my psyche, Gerald Ford. Remember when President Nixon resigned? Gosh, that was, uh, next year will be the 50th anniversary. August the 8th, when President Nixon announced he'd be resigning, and August 9th, when he actually left office, 1974. And then Gerald Ford, who had been sworn in as vice president because of uh, what happened with Spiro Agnew. Remember, Nixon and Agnew ran in 68, and they won. They served a term. Uh, Spiro Agnew had been the governor of Maryland, and then he got in trouble for some kind of this tax fraud or something like that and had to resign. So he resigned, and Gerald Ford, who was the uh, ranking uh, senior senator from Michigan, wound up becoming the vice president of the United States. And he was vice president for, what, a half an hour? And then Nixon had to resign, and Gerald Ford became the first man, I think, and the only man in American history, to be named the fill-in vice president after a vice president had resigned, and then to ascend it to the White House to once the president resigned. So... Those who voted in the 1972 presidential election for Richard Nixon and Spiro Agnew wound up getting a ticket of Gerald Ford and Nelson Rockefeller, which is kind of crazy. And by golly, it looked like in 1976, the only people uh, who thought that Gerald Ford had a shot at winning re-election were Gerald Ford and Nelson Rockefeller. But by golly, he almost pulled it off. There were so many Democrat contenders, as you'll recall, that um, uh, Jimmy Carter wound up winning. Um, and yet, you know, it, 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 he, he kind of didn't win the landslide woodshed moment that he thought he was going to. But nonetheless, uh, uh, Jimmy Carter and Walter Mondale served for one term and they got ran out of office, which was quite right, inappropriate, <laughs> to be honest with you. Um, but uh, anyway... Hearing Gerald Ford saying honesty is the best policy as an eighth grader, getting ready to start the eighth grade, I, I remember hearing him say it, and it sounded so simple. It sounded so plain. It sounded so ordinary. And yet, it sounded like a man who honestly really believed it. And I, I think the reason that that still resonates with me 50 years later is, quite frankly, because there are a lot of people who are in the body of Christ, who are part of church groups or Christian ministries or whatever. And it, quite frankly, if they would adopt a similar attitude that honesty is the best policy, we wouldn't have some of the kerfluffles that we have in the body of Christ right now. Every major denomination has some big problem, it seems. Every major denomination is culpable for... Uh, advancing all sorts of uh, ill-gotten gain and, and, and mistreatment of other people in the name of Jesus. No question about it. 
But as we look to this current good news story, there's one organization that really got a lot of people's attention back in the early 1990s for upholding faith and values and primarily motivating Generation X and baby boomer men to be the husbands and fathers that we need the culture to have them. And it was interesting that after a couple of decades of the free love and don't get married and you know just kind of enjoy yourself and travel and do whatever you're going to do, the baby boom generation realized, hey, you know, life is a lot more fulfilling when you get married, have kids, leave a legacy, go to church. You know, I mean, it, it, there was a huge renaissance. And during that, an organization called Promise Keepers was born. Now, perhaps you're familiar with that, especially our KLDC and KLTT listeners. Um, Promise Keepers was founded by Bill McCartney, who at the time had been the head coach of the University of Colorado. And Bill started Promise Keepers when he and his wife came to a revelation that Bill had been having an emotional affair with his secretary. I'm giving you the super short version. They did not consummate the relationship, but there were some times when Bill was off on recruiting trips and he was spending more time on the phone with the secretary than he was with his wife. No big deal. Evidently, there was one trip where Bill told his assistant, you really need to come with me. And and that was basically... You know, it's interesting when you take your faith seriously, when you see what Jesus says about adultery, the people who turn a blind eye, a deaf ear, or make the casual, sarcastic quip about it probably would not do so in Jesus' presence. Because what does Jesus say? You know, you've been told, it's been said that you should not commit adultery. I tell you, if you even look at a woman or man, depending on your sexual orientation and gender, well, just your gender, for a woman to look at a man with lust, for a man to look at a woman with lust, Jesus says that is committing adultery. I mean, the fact that you even thought about it. And that's kind of a revelation for people because, you know, sexual sin is just so common in the culture right now. But it also gives us not a pass, but it gives us an out when you have those moments. I think it's far better to just confess it before God straight away. You, you see that attractive person, member of the opposite sex, and you say, Lord, wow. You did a great job of making that, putting that person together. And so, you know, I praise you for that. And please forgive me for having that impure thought. I remember many times doing the come up to me for prayer afterwards, the service, when I was especially doing my internship at Lutheran Church of the Cross. If I was the assisting pastor, then that also meant at the end of the service, the senior pastor would make a beeline for the front door so he could shake hands with everyone as they came out. A handshake was a big deal in our church. And I would stay up at the altar and anybody who needed to come up, come up for prayer would do so. And you'd be amazed at the number of people of all different ages, men and women, different ethnicities, different seasons of life. I'd say, want prayer? Sure. What are we praying for today? And they'd say, lust. It's amazing. But God knows that any sex outside of the relationship for which he appointed it for, which is the matrimony bed, I mean, basically the holy covenant of marriage. Any sexual expression outside of that is sin. See, this will make it a lot easier for you if you're wrestling with this right now, if you're wrestling with infidelity, if you've committed infidelity, and who hasn't? Um, and I'm not just talking about the Jesus kind where he says you thought about it, you've actually done it. But then there's another part of that equation that a lot of Christians don't make connection on. For some reason, sexual orientation how you choose to identify in that way seems to be in a whole different category 
for a lot of people. So just as a lot of mainline denominational Christians will say, well, homosexuality is bad, but if someone's else cheating on his wife, well, you know, don't get caught. In the LGBTQ community, you kind of have the opposite for many people, not all, but for many, which is this is my identity. This is who I is. So you can't, this is who I am. So you can't tell me it's wrong. Well, more and more people are starting to speak up and say, hey, wait a minute. You know, we don't hate people who are in the LGBTQ community, but we're certainly not, certainly not going to celebrate something that God calls sin. In the same way, we wouldn't have like the Pride Month in, in June for the LGBTQ crowd. We're certainly not going to have a fornication month, you know, where, hey, everybody who got lost their virginity before their wedding night, we're going to celebrate you this month. Or everybody who had an extramarital affair that uh, consummated the relationship and wound up violating your marriage covenant, hey, we're celebrating you too. Oh, come on, Roger, that's not the equivalent. Well, is it? It? And the Promise Keepers movement in the 1990s especially went to a couple of Promise Keepers event, events and they were hugely popular with guys who were going and saying, I want to do this. I want to learn how to be a better husband, be a better father. I'm going to keep the promise that I made before God and to my wife and to these witnesses who were there at our wedding. Promise Keepers was a big deal in the 1990s and then Bill McCartney got out of the way and different leadership did different things. A guy by the name of Ken Harrison is now the CEO of Promise Keepers. And Ken has a, like a real job. He's a volunteer. He's the chairman and CEO, and he has Promise Keepers back on track. They've done some virtual events. They've done some get out and go events. And Ken's been on the bottom line with me a couple times. He's a dynamic, compelling presence. So why then, if Promise Keepers is on the straight and narrow, why did Promise Keepers' Daring Faith Tour wind up getting canceled at a major Christian university in Nashville, which led to the canceling of this same event in two other locations, one in Cordova, Tennessee, and one in Houston, Texas. Well, what happens? Remember, I, we were talking about how you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Honesty is the best policy. The guys at Promise Keepers say that they made an actual and factual statement of faith about LGBT Pride Month. And as a result, three Christian venues, two churches, and a Christian university canceled their Daring Faith Tour. Which venues are there? And uh, why did this all come down the way it did? And why are we talking about this on Good News Friday? <laughs> Lots to consider on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970. 
800-696-9970 or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh, and it's never fun to have to look at two Christian organizations going head-to-head on different sides of an issue. And it's very clear in my estimation of reading the scripture that one side is clearly in the correct side of the equation and the other side is not. But here's what happened. Promise Keepers, under the direction of Chairman and CEO Ken Harrison, has staged a tour, a, a series of events this summer called Daring Faith. Ken has a new book on this topic. We've had him on the Bottom Line Show. Every time he has comes on and talks about it, people call like crazy and say we want the books. But back in June, something interesting happened. Promise Keepers posted on a blog a post that was critical of LGBTQ Pride Month. As a result, Belmont University, private Christian university in Nashville, wound up canceling a Promise Keepers event on the Daring Faith Tour that was scheduled to be held there. Now, the reason the university gave was they accused the organization Promise Keepers of, quote, unnecessarily fanning the flames of culture wars. Now, for the record, I don't know if Belmont University is openly pro-rainbow flag, LGBTQ+, etc. It sounds like they are. They are a private Christian university in Nashville, Tennessee, and they have every right to say if this group is something that we don't think would be beneficial to be part of our ministry mix here, we're going to cancel the event. And that's what they did. But quite frankly, the Promise Keepers post on the blog basically echoed biblical principles with regard to uh, same-sex quote-unquote marriage. Now, as part of its mission, Promise Keepers does offer guidance to men on how to respond to the gender identity crisis. And Ken Harrison says, here's the deal. We don't, um, we don't back down. He says, we're optimistic that our events will be held at other churches because these organizations have contacted us after hearing about the cancellations and they're happy to host an event. Anything that champions helping men grow stronger in their understanding and application of God's truth, they're all about it. Now, what's interesting is this isn't the first time something like this has happened. Back in 2021, uh, Promise Keepers was scheduled to hold an event at AT&T Stadium, Arlington, Texas, where the Cowboys play. And an editor at USA Today uh, had, took issue with the fact that Ken Harrison had given views on this program and others about men competing in women's sports. Now, of course, that's what, how we describe it. To those in the LGBTQ community, they talk about transgender women, quote-unquote, competing in the sport where they identify with that gender. Statistically, scientifically, men do have an advantage over women. And a woman who uh, is running or swimming or high jumping or whatever in, comp- in competition against someone who was born male, even though he's been taking estrogen for a couple of years, he still has a physical advantage over her. Ken Harrison was, was critical of women having to compete against men in women's sports. And so an editor at USA Today wrote an op-ed piece back in 2021 calling on the Dallas Cowboys organization to bar promise keepers from holding a men's conference at AT&T Stadium. So it's interesting because first you had that a couple of years ago. They wound up, uh, you know, having to look for other venues. 
Now Belmont University, a very well-known Christian university, canceling a Promise Keepers event. There were two other events that were canceled. And it's interesting because I remember uh, Ken Harrison uh, mentioning to me one of these, these, uh, these places, Hope Church in Cordova, Tennessee, canceled, and also the Fountain of Praise in Houston. And, and understand this Daring Faith tour that Promise Keepers is on involved going into some pretty historically uh, major and significant places. I don't have the full conference schedule in front of me, but they were going to look to be instruments, ironically, of healing and reconciliation. And the fact that a couple of churches here in the South have disinvited Promise Keepers Daring Faith Tour is disheartening in the sense that, well, um, a lot of good could have happened by having these events in these places. And yet the reason why the events are not taking place is not because Promise Keepers came in and said, we're bullhorn, da 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 this is what we're doing. It's because a Christian university and two pretty substantial Christian churches took a look at Promise Keepers' comments on LGBTQ issues and pride issues, and they said, you guys are fanning the flames unnecessarily of confusion and derision, and we're not going to hold your event. Now, I'm going to have Tamara put this article up at thebottomlineshow.com. Uh, Christian Post posted this, and in the article, they actually do have a link for any church that is interested in hosting this Promise Keepers Daring Faith event. They have had a couple cancellations, and we'll put the local number up, especially for our KLTT, KLDC listeners. If you are interested in hosting a Promise Keepers event, there's the link for the phone number. There's the link for the website there. But I did mention this is Good News Friday story. And so on the other side of this break, I want to list a couple of reasons why I believe that not only Promise Keepers taking a stand for biblical values is good news, but also organizations that profess faith in Christ that are canceling these guys, that's also good news for us in the body of Christ. I'll tell you why coming up next as the bottom line continues. Preborn is saving lives by doing what the left doesn't want you to know about. Progressives don't want you to know that a baby, once conceived in the womb, is a human being. And the proof that we have is four-dimensional ultrasound technology that you can get for free at Preborn. The reason Preborn can offer these ultrasound appointments is because people like you make donations and uh, they're tax deductible and they provide not only the necessary appointments for the expected moms, but also making large donations that will provide ultrasound machines for each of these organizations as well. 833-850-BABY is the number to call. It's really easy to remember. 833-850-BABY or if you want to do the numbers, it's 833-850-2229. Your $28 donation right now will save one baby's life. Uh, $140 donation does five, 280 does 10. You can also give a recurring monthly gift like Lisa and I do, maybe $28 a month or $56 a month, $100 a month, whatever you and God decide. Make your best donation today and please know it's completely tax deductible and every dollar you donate to Preborn goes to the ultrasounds. 833-850-BABY, 833-850-2229 or go online to kbrightradio.com and click the Preborn banner today. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marshall. I remember getting an email from a listener one time on a Good News Friday who said, why do you call it good news? A lot of the stories you talk about aren't terribly happy. They're not very uplifting. Yeah, well, here's the good news. The good news of the gospel is that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for our ungodly selves. 
The good news of the gospel is that God so loved the world that in spite of the fact it's going to hell in a handbasket, 2,000 plus years ago, God loved the world so much that he sent Jesus Christ to pay the penalty for sin and start the redemption and restoration process that's going on even right now. Have you seen those videos of, you know, here's a desert, you know, there's been a desert for 2,000 years and all of a sudden flowers are blooming there. How is that happening? What about these lakes here in the People's Republic of California that have been empty, dried up, oh, it's climate change, et cetera, et cetera. And all of a sudden God is bringing concentrated amounts of heavy rain into these areas that's literally filling them back up to full in capacity. It's amazing to see what God's doing on the restoration side. But how do we know this is true? Well, when one organization says we're a Christian organization and we believe in biblical manhood and we do not celebrate homosexuality, we, we don't condemn people who engage in it because that's between them and God and they ultimately are condemning themselves, but we're certainly not going to condone it with a gay pride a month or whatever it is. When Ken Harrison of Promise Keepers, the men's ministry out of Colorado, uh, posted something on a blog during June that said, hey, you know what? We really shouldn't be celebrating pride. We should, should be celebrating humility in Christ, et cetera, et cetera. Three large Christian organizations, Belmont University in Nashville, along with um, the church in Cordova, Tennessee, um, Hope Church, and then the Fountain of Praise in Houston, all disinvited promise keepers. And that Houston event was gonna be huge. Now, hopefully they will find another church to have that event in, but that location in particular uh, was gonna be a major one in terms of racial reconciliation and healing going on there. That is very unfortunate to see that the Fountain of Praise felt that promise keepers not, well, not, you'd expect, not that you would expect them to endorse an LGBTQ Pride Month, but the fact that they did post a blog expressing their disdain for that, you know, you got three Christian organizations saying, no, we're supposed to be loving and unifying and, and that doesn't help and uh, that makes things worse. So we're, we're not gonna let you hold your event. So the question, first question I'd ask is which is worse? Promise keepers taking a stand speaking out for biblical integrity or these three Christian organizations saying you guys are stirring the pot and you're creating division and we unnecessarily fanning the flames of the culture wars as Belmont University said and so you shouldn't be saying what you're saying a lot of Christians up until maybe a year ago would have said door number two was the answer that they were going to take we don't want to start anything we don't want to get any trouble with the law we don't want to turn people off especially if they might have a gay relative or something like that but this past year something happened i believe the remnant is starting to take a stand i honestly read scripture and don't know how a church or a christian university could look at promise keepers taking a stand for biblical sexuality and biblical marriage biblical manhood and biblical womanhood and say you guys are dangerous and you're starting a culture war and you can't have hold your event at our church. When I spent some time at the, uh, as the campus pastor at uh, Liso Vio Christian School, there was a very uh, big movement by a lot of people to make sure that nobody from the LGBTQ community showed up. You know, it's like, hey, we don't want to have to deal with that, no problems. And there were some parents who came to the campus and said, we, you know, a couple of guys, a couple of ladies, and they say, we would like our child to go here or our children to go here. And it took a lot of prayer and a lot of sitting down with these families and saying, look, this is what we teach. This is what we teach about marriage and family and biblical sexuality. And it was amazing. 
how few people said, oh, you can't do that. We're going to sue you. They said, okay, this is what you teach here. That's what we want our kids to learn. Pretty impressive. But the good news on the other side of this equation, good news is that Promise Keepers took a stand, not trying to start anything, but basically just said, look, this is who we are, and we're taking that stand without being dogmatic, without being overbearing. I think that's good. It's also good that a Christian university or university calls itself a Christian university and two large Christian churches have said the same thing because basically what they're telling you is they're not. And at least now we know. There's nothing in scripture to support the positions that Belmont University or Fountain of Praise in Houston or Hope Church in Cordova, Tennessee have taken. So by this... My, one of my wife's favorite expressions. When people tell you who they are, believe them. We can pray for them. And Lord, I pray for a change of heart and mind for the leadership at Belmont and Hope Church and Fountain of Praise. I think of the missed opportunities for them to hear the gospel proclaimed in the manner that Promise Keepers does. But at the same time, Father, thank you for just beginning to pull back the curtain and expose our hearts. Search me, O God, and know my heart, the psalmist writes. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. That's our heart's cry. And the good news is, if you as a believer confess your sin, John tells us in 1 John chapter 1, if we confess our sin, God who is faithful and just will forgive our sin and purify us from all unrighteousness. You don't have to be bound, bound up in sexual sin. You don't have to be bound up in uh, the, the, the bonds of acrimony. God can deliver you from those chains and he can use the struggles that you're in right now to refine and shape your soul if you'll let him. If you receive the gift of faith that the Holy Spirit makes available to you so you can receive the gift of salvation and let the process of sanctification begins, you will know the truth. The truth will set you free and honesty will be the best policy. That's good news, and that's the bottom line.